This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. So good evening from Jerusalem, uh, CMJ Israel. Uh, we are presenting uh, on our normal Bible study where we would be um, right now wrestling with the last words of Moses. We would be uh, normally studying tonight Deuteronomy 17 where uh, Moses um, presents uh, what you should do for capital punishment in terms of idolatry and then presents a few laws for a king, figure out why those things come come together. Uh, the Deuteronomy is the only book of the Torah that has any laws at all uh, in regards to a king, and there are not many of those at all. King only gets three laws, the rest of us get 613, which is an interesting um, connection. Uh, but tonight, because we're very close to Rosh Hashanah, uh, David and Daryl, um, asked that we, we focus on the holiday and have a look at some of the texts that are around it and, uh, and we look at what is essentially uh, central to the festival, which is the blowing of the shofar. And we'll see what we can come, come together with that and whatever we can learn. Um, but before we begin, let's begin with prayer and we'll call on uh, Brother Neville to lead us uh, in inviting the Messiah, who's already present, but we acknowledge his presence as, as we begin. Neville? Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together in your name, to gather around your word. And so, Father, we pray that you'd honor us by your presence and guide us by your spirit to understand things we've not seen before and just re reveal your heart to us, we pray, Lord, on things touching this, this festival, this special day. The, th the things that we are able to discern from your word that you want us to understand. Father, thank you for so many people gathered together for, right across the globe. Um, we pray that your Holy Spirit would gu guide us individually and you would speak to us the things that you want to teach us. And especially, Lord, be with Aaron and anoint his teaching for our sake, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we are on the eve of a festival, which we all know as Rosh Hashanah. Um, just in summary, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are the two high holy days in the Jewish calendar. The feasts are given different uh, codifications. For example, uh, you get Moedim, appointed festivals. You get the three pilgrim festivals. Uh, you have minor fasts that occur in the, in the, during the, the Jewish calendar. Uh, but there are two days that are called the high holidays. And uh, certain things happen on them that don't happen in any other holiday. These are Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Now, if we're completely honest, the term Rosh Hashanah, which means the head of the year, doesn't actually occur in the Bible, except once. It occurs once in Ezekiel chapter 40. At the beginning of Ezekiel chapter 40, verse 1, it says it is Rosh Hashanah, it is the head of the year. But there, in context, Ezekiel is actually referring to the spring season which is actually called Aviv, which was the original beginning of the calendar. So when we notice in Exodus, God says 
Aviv, this month is going to be for you the beginning of your year. Uh, however, we're now at a time that it's not. So the Bible says that the beginning of the year should be in the spring. And yet we've been celebrating Rosh Hashanah now in the fall for quite some time. So what happens at this time in the Bible? Well, the Torah defines the holiday in the seventh month, which is the one that we're in, simply as Yom Tiruah, the festival of the blowing of the shofar. And it doesn't go into any further explanation. That's it. So if we actually read uh, the actual text, very short, short text, Leviticus 23, the the, 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 the famous text with the feasts of the Lord um, in, in Leviticus 23, verse, verse 23, we get a sh very short couple of verses talking about this festival. And it simply says, the Lord says to Moses, say to the Israelites, on the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a day of a Sabbath rest. Great a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts, okay? the Yom Teruah. doesn't say shofar, it says trumpet blast. Don't do any, any regular work, but present a food offering to the Lord. And that's it. What is not there? Here's the first question. No sacrifices? Well, that's right. It doesn't, there's no sacrifices listed. We'll, they, they will list them in numbers in nice detail, and we'll read that portion in a minute. But you're right. Here we have uh, a festival, but there's no sacrifices. Leviticus is normally pretty good for setting out a good, a good animal slaying, but uh, this time, no. What, what is not there? Yeah. No reason. And there's no reason. It just says, on the first day of the seventh month, have a holiday. Okay. What would be the good Jewish question? Come on, what is the classic Jewish question you always ask as soon as anyone asks you anything? Why? 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 Now you can just imagine all the Israelites go, okay, Moses, uh, why? But what happened today? Is it God's birthday? Can we write that down? Um, is, is someone being born? Um, what are we, are we commemorating a famous battle? Is it uh, independence of Israel? Yeah, the, the text gives you no reason. God gives you no reason. Just says do it. And what's interesting about this holiday, opposed to all the others, is have a memorial, because okay, that's actually what it is, Zichoron, um, memorial of trumpeting. So the trumpets are for some memory, but it doesn't tell you what the memory's of yet. Okay, okay, great. So that's the first rule, and it's very vague, not a lot there. Jump over to Numbers, where we actually do get a list of, uh, of sacrifices. Okay, uh, Numbers chapter 10. So Numbers 10.10 says... Also at your times of rejoicing, let's remember that one of the key uh, components to the festivals of the Lord 
is where God takes over your emotions and says, rejoice before me. Right? When, when we come before the Lord, there's this strong emphasis on being happy in his presence. So your times of rejoicings, your appointed festivals, and your new moon feasts, there's quite a few. You are to sound the trumpets okay, over your burnt offerings and your fellowship offerings, and they will be a memorial. Excellent. Another, another word, memorial, for you, before your God, I am the Lord your God. But Aaron? once again, doesn't tell you what it's for. Go, Roddy. What's, uh, what would be their standard for determining the first day of this month? Would it be the moon? Yep. Correct. Okay. Yep. Uh, and so in the Bible, the, uh, the, the signification of moons is incredibly important. Um, and it was, it was decided by a small committee that would meet in the temple courts. They would decide when they could dis- work out when a new moon was appearing and then they would run around and tell people. So since the destruction of the, of the temple, we don't have that committee that meets. And so most Jewish festivals actually are celebrated for two days, you might notice, except for Yom Kippur. And so Rosh Hashanah is actually celebrated two days, just in case they get it wrong. And what happens when it falls on a weekly Shabbat? Okay, so normally, there's a good question, Roddy. Normally, the Sabbath trumps everything, right? Right. And, yep. And so you even can move Passover for the Sabbath, right? Yes. But not, not this one. So Rosh Hashanah is going to fall on Friday night, which is a Shabbat. And it's going to be Rosh Hashanah regardless. And then we're also going to celebrate Rosh Hashanah Bet, day two, on Sunday. So Motzei Shabbat Sunday. And, uh, uh, and the, the, the reason that is, is it's just a rabbinic ruling where they decided, just in case we get the day wrong, we'll do two days. Okay? No other reason. What about blowing the, uh, the trumpet or the shofar on Shabbat? That's a, is that a rabbinical rule? Okay, that's a good question. Um, so... Contrary to popular belief, and we've mentioned it a few times in this Bible study, Jewish people don't blow shofars on Shabbat, okay? except on, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Okay, these two are known as the high holidays, and they trump all rules on the Sabbath. I know that sounds a little weird, but it's true. And so, 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 for, so in Israel, you will hear on Shabbat, uh, shofars in the synagogue, which is not normal, but it is on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Um, and, and so that's going to happen. So in, uh, in Numbers 29, you get a little bit more detail uh, on the list of sacrifices that are supposed to be for this day, because we're supposed to blow the shofar over our offerings. Okay, fantastic. And these are for a memorial. Still doesn't tell us what the memorial is for. And it hasn't also decided what the um, sacrifices are. So Numbers 29, it says, on the first day of the seventh month, okay, that's the first day of the seventh month, not the first day of the first month, first day of the seventh month, which is currently Tishrei, uh, or sorry, we're in in Elul, it's about to become Tishrei, although that's, as we know from a couple of uh, studies ago, these are Babylonian names. Uh, Babylonian gods for the calendar. The actual biblical name for this for the next month is Itanim. 
Okay? We only have four, four names in the Bible for Jewish months, and uh, this one is one of them. So Itanim. Uh, we're supposed to hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. So it's like a Sabbath. Uh, it is a day for you to sound the trumpets. Great. As an aroma pleasing to the Lord. So we're gonna, the, the, there'll be some incense and sweet smells. And here's our list of offerings. Offer a burnt offering of a young bull, a ram, seven male lambs a year old, all without defects. With the bull, do some grain offering, uh, three-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with olive oil. With the ram, two-tenths, and with each of the seven lambs, one-tenth. Include one male goat as a sin offering to make atonement for you. These are in addition to the monthly and daily burnt offerings and their grain offerings and drink offerings as specified. They are a food offering presented to the Lord, a pleasing aroma. And that's it. Again. What is, out of all the rules we've been given for Yom Teruah, what don't we have? The reason for the holiday. <laughs> exactly. There's no reason. There, it's, it's, a, it's a feast of the Lord. You're going to do it, and there's no reason for it. And so in the absence of any clear significance for this festival in the Bible, and there is none, then the meaning and the value and the importance of Rosh Hashanah has developed over time. So we are about to celebrate a non-biblical, in inverted commas, biblical holiday. Okay? And, uh, and so one of the things we like to do at CMJ, and uh, you'll see that on our little video that we're going to present, is we like to look for the divine messages that God gives and presents through these festivals and see how those messages can help transform our walk as disciples in the Messiah. May may ask, yes? Sorry, may I ask a question? Have, have we lost anything over time because it's shifted to this time of year instead of being in the spring? Um, well, so let, let's do this. Let's just say we don't call it Rosh Hashanah, we call it Yom Teruah. We still don't have a meaning. We're still going to have to come up with a meaning for this thing. And so what we're going to do, do now is um, we're going to look at some of the modern traditions, just the fluff stuff, because it's fun, okay? What we eat, what we can't eat, all that kind of stuff, what we wear, what we don't wear. And um, because really, that, that's kind of cool to do. But then we'll go and have a, we'll jump in and we'll have a look at some of the prayers that they pray and, uh, and, and some of the meanings that you can find in the Bible that deal with the blasts of shofars. Okay? Sure. And then we'll all that together and then we're going to see how that helps us celebrate the day. So yeah. what, what, I hope to, what I hope to get to is that at the end of our little time here, we can turn around with big smiles on our faces and say, you know what, I'm about to celebrate a holiday that's not in the Bible and it's so rich and full of meaning I'm going to love it because it's going to deepen my walk with the Messiah. Okay, go Neville. Okay, um, where is it, where's the understanding that it's uh, the blowing of a shofar rather than the blowing of silver trumpets, which is what okay. is number 10? Yes, so um, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the text, some... Some of the texts say shofar, although not many. Most say 
um, Chatzotzra, which is trumpet, the silver trumpet, the blowing of trumpets. But in, the, in Leviticus, it just says Yom Teruah, whatever that is. And so um, it's, you'll see, uh, hopefully by the end, how they link together trumpets and shofars together. Okay? And, uh, but you're right. The, the actual literal Hebrew word in numbers is just a trumpet, okay? Not a, not a shofar uh, at all, okay? So let's look at some of the modern traditions which are going on around this time. Uh, everybody knows what we're supposed to eat. You can see from this little picture that we've got at the back, okay? Um, last week, uh, for those that were, were uh, here, um, the picture looked something like this. That's because it was by your, it was International Buyer Priest of Beer Day. Okay. And uh, I have to tell you that I managed to get three. So it was not too bad. Okay? Uh, but now, now we have a little picture of some of the foods you, you eat at this time. Apples and honey and, uh, and, and pomegranates. Okay. You also consume the head of a fish. Uh, that does not sound very appetizing, um, but it's it's put on the table as a um, as a as a as a as a way to try and say may this year may we be the head and not the tail. You're looking to say trying to give various blessings for your holiday. So uh, you, you want to have a sweet new year. You want to have a fruitful new year. So they chose a pomegranate, which is just loaded with seeds. They chose apples and honey, which were sweet and delicious. Uh, another tradition is, when, is to change the bread that you eat uh, in the season to round loaves. Okay, they're still called challah, which is the Hebrew word for loaf. Okay, very, very complicated meaning for bread there. Um, so they, they bake them in these round loaves. That's to signify the, um, the, the, the yearly cycle. Okay, the year ends and the year begins. And um, it's the, you also find that the liturgical reading of Bible ends and begins at, at this day. So this, this week's parasha is the end of Deuteronomy and the beginning of Genesis. Although on Rosh Hashanah, on the actual day, there are some special passages that you read. And we'll read them. Okay. Um, so, yeah, what does Roddy say? Yehuda Glick's going to go onto the Temple Mountain and, and uh, blow a ram's horn on Yom Teruah? Yeah, okay. He does that kind of stuff. I've seen him up there a few times. Should be interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, on, uh, on Shabbat, so on Friday night and Hello. on Shabbat. The, the significance of the pomegranate, is it, it's, is it because, that, because there's so many seats in it and it's supposed to represent all the blessings? Uh, lots of blessings and fruitful. Yes. Yeah. Fruitful. yeah. Just so that everything is in abundance. Uh, your blessings, your wealth, uh, your exam results, um, everything is, is supposed to be good. So the two readings are tonight, on Friday night, they're going to read Genesis 21. And on Shabbat, they're going to read Genesis 22. They're going to read the birth of Isaac and the sacrifice of Isaac at this time. Now, as you know, most Jewish festivals, well, all of them, have special readings. So on Yom Kippur, you read Jonah. At uh, Sukkot, you read Ecclesiastes. At uh, Esther, you read 
you know, the book of Job, right? you read Esther. Um, at Shavuot, you read Ruth, you know, these kinds of things. So these, these are two chapters that are specifically read, Genesis 21, Genesis 22. Now, a month before Rosh Hashanah, which is the month of Elul, um, that's when you start blowing shofars, and you blow them every day, except on Shabbat. And so this is, and because this entire month, Jewish people run around and blow shofars, it's become this idea that people think you blow shofars all the time, uh, particularly in Shabbat. And so some, some Christians have sort of adopted this program and think that it's a very Jewish thing to do. And so they grab shofars and they blow them all the time. Actually, Jewish people do not. Uh, the shofar is incredibly important, but it is blown this month. And, and it's important because it's not blown often. And so it's blown every day in the mornings during Elul, not on Shabbat. It is blown over a hundred times on Rosh Hashanah, even though the Mishnah, the actual rules in the, in the Mishnah, the Jewish commentary, say only do it 30 times, but they will do it about over a hundred times. And it has all kinds of meanings. Special prayers appear this month. And the special prayers are called slichot, which means um, forgiveness. And these, it's a, it's a, the, these special prayers are added to your normal daily prayer just this month where you begin to beseech God for forgiveness. And uh, you don't do these individually. This is a prayer that you can only pray in a minyan. What's a minyan, I hear you ask? You already know. What's a minyan, guys? Ten people. Ten adult males. Yep. So why? Now, what's interesting? Why are we saying forgiveness? Not just ten people. Ten males. Ten males. That's right. Ten righteous men. Now, you get ten righteous men together and you pray for forgiveness. So if you're doing that, how do you say it? How do you say it in English? If you've got a group of ten people, how do you say, forgive me? What do you say, guys? We're sorry. Forgive us. Forgive us. Yes. Forgive us our sins. Ooh, where have you heard that kind of prayers before? The Lord's Prayer. Correct. Okay. So during this time, you begin to beseech forgiveness, but you don't do it individually. You do it as corporately. You do it as as this group. Okay. You will stand before God individually. And there are some prayers for individual judgment, uh, in particularly with a book, but we'll get to that in a minute. But for the first, for the month preceding Rosh Hashanah, it's us, 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 our, our, our prayers. Okay? And so Jewish people do ask for forgiveness. And Slichot does not include sacrifices. Ooh. So we're asking for forgiveness without saying, and uh, I'm going to kill a, kill a cow. Uh, is that okay? Or I only have enough money for a bird. Is that, is that all right? And one of the, the uh, things, part of the, the prayers of Slichot are the um, 30, 13 attributes of the Lord. Um, so this is a little prayer book that appears on uh, Rosh Hashanah and, uh, and for Yom Kippur. And uh, what they do is they go through the Torah and they find these these character where the text deliberately gives a characteristic for God. 
And as part of your forgiveness, you beseech the Lord because of his attributes, right? Because he's merciful. And the 13 attributes are, uh, so Adonai is El, he's a God. He's uh, Rachum, he's merciful. He's uh, Tachum, he is um, gracious. He's Orech Afim, he is, uh, well, literally long-suffering, but he's slow to anger, would be an English translation. We appeal to God's mercy because he's slow to anger. He's Rav Chesed, he's full or abounding in mercy and, and, and graciousness. The Emet, and he's truthful. Okay, one of the attributes of God is he, he tells the truth. Okay, he's not uh, Chesed He is merciful for a thousand generations. Like not only does his mercy just rest on us as we're calling for his mercy, but it's, it's, it's hitting us and it's, the mercy is moving into our children and our unborn children. Okay, that's how powerful they find God's mercy, is that it actually can affect not just us and our community, it affects the next generation, and it affects the generation yet unborn, which is really interesting. He is uh, Nosea Von. He is, uh, well, actually, he is, uh, he is the forgiver of iniquity. Okay? He, um, he forgives sin. So why, why, why pray for forgiveness to God? Because obviously one of his attributes is he actually does forgive sin. No point asking him for forgiveness if he can't do it. Right? And then they have uh, some other attributes, Vopesha, uh, which means that he forgives the sins of those who willfully sin. Now, isn't that interesting? Okay. We've all done things we've wanted to do, and yet how can we turn around and say, uh, uh, Lord, forgive me? Well, one of the attributes of God is he does forgive people who willfully sin. And then it's chateta, uh, which means he also forgives those who sin in ignorance. They didn't know that they committed a sin. They just kind of did it by accident. But they still sin, and they can uh, get forgiven. And um, and vanaki, uh, and he cleanses you from your sin. Okay, is um, is one of the it's, it's some of the other attributes. So this is a nice little prayer which um, appears only at this time. It's a it's a prayer that gets prayed um, for all of this month on Rosh Hashanah on Yom Kippur. Uh, and the prayer is for forgiveness, and the prayer is without a sacrifice, okay? which is also uh, uh, it's, a very, it's a very theological thing. Because remember, for a lot of um, for, for a very long time, as as the as, as the Christian church has sort of browbeaten Jews for saying you don't have a temple, so you have nothing to get rid of your sin. Well. Oddly enough, that hasn't seemed to have bothered Jews for the last 2,000 years. Okay? Um, not saying the temple's not important. Didn't say that. Not saying sacrifices were not important. Didn't say that either. Okay? Just, just to let you know is that uh, forgiveness and sacrifices, they are linked, but also without them, there's still, still possibility for, for uh, forgiveness. So, okay. Um, so the blowing of the shofar is the central uh, mitzvah of this festival. Why? Because it's the only thing that's actually mentioned in the text. Okay? That nothing else is mentioned apart from sacrifices, but 
blowing a sound, having a blast. Okay. Okay. So Jennifer asks, why did the new year move? Okay. Good question. We understand from Exodus that God says the beginning of the, of the year is uh, in Aviv. And probably for most of the first temple period, that seemed to be the way it went. Um, what exactly they were doing at Yom Teruah, we don't know. We don't have any examples of how they celebrated this festival in, in, the, in the Bible. When, they, when the temple is destroyed, everything changes. We have to re-examine what sacrifices really mean because now obviously we can't do them. We have to uh, figure out what we do with, with um, prophets. We haven't got any now, now that we're in captivity. Um, uh, how do we relate to God if we don't have a temple or a, a functioning priesthood, uh, all these kinds of things. And then they also re-examined re their festivals. They also adopted the calendar of the Babylonians. They took the names of the Babylonian gods and their months, and that became the Jewish calendar. And they, 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 they took, um, uh, they took, they, they took um, the, the, year, the, the new year, the Babylonian year, which, which fell in the fall, and they took their holiday, Yom Teruah, and they joined them together. And then they looked for reasons for the shofar. And what we're going to do right now, they did uh, several thousand years ago. Okay. Uh, Kathy asks, if Rosh Hashanah has no reason for the holiday, why does it trump Shabbat? That's a very good question. Um, how, how is it that um, two days of the year can trump Shabbat? And, uh, and, and again, it's tradition. And uh, it, it, the day has become so uh, powerful in its, in its meanings that it, uh, it trumps the Sabbath, um, which, is, which, is, which is actually quite incredible. Okay. Um, okay. So uh, where are we up to? Okay. So the shofar is, is blown on this day, and you, you have this entire month of saying forgiveness, uh, beseeching the Lord and in all of his attributes of mercy because you're preparing yourself for Yom Kippur. And early Jewish tradition uh, has on Rosh Hashanah, here we begin to start adding, adding things, um, that, that we stand in judgment before God on Rosh Hashanah. So beginnings, now how do they get to that, I hear you ask. That's a really good question. Okay. And uh, you're really asking some pretty good questions here. It works like this. In, in Jewish exegesis, you've heard me say this before, beginnings and ends occur in the same fashion. You've heard me say this before, right? Okay. So the, the, uh, the, the way God fixes things or repairs the world is exactly the way it was broken. You can so watch it. If a, um, if, a, if a virgin, Eve, heard the voice of God and disobeyed, how do I fix the problem? I'll have a virgin hear the voice of God and obey. If my first king, Shaul, 
who was meant to lead the Israel to be a light to the Gentiles, fails in his job, who, who is going to be my apostle to the Gentiles? Well, it's going to be Shaul. It's going to come from the same tribe. Saul of Benjamin, Shaul of Benjamin. Fixed in the same way. If Rosh Hashanah, which means the head of the year, the beginning of the year, meaning they believe creation started on Friday, right? Friday night, God makes, starts making the world, okay? Just as the sun goes down, when it gets dark, God is going to say, let there be light, which seems like a bit of an upside-down way of thinking about it. But so if the beginning of the year is now, at the beginning of the universe is on Friday, Obviously, the end of the universe has to be tomorrow uh, on Thursday, on Friday night as well. Beginnings and ends always occur on the same day. And so um, if the end of the world happens on Friday, what does everybody get to do? Everybody gets to stand before God in judgment. And so Rosh Hashanah becomes the day of judgment. doesn't say that in the Bible, but that's how you get to it. So how do you get judged? Well... Everyone's names are inscribed in books. Where do we get this idea from? You see those court scenes in Daniel chapter 7. You see the books in Revelation 21. And so it became, it became a very easy theological jump to say, Rosh Hashanah, we are celebrating the creation of the universe. This is awesome. You know, in six days from now, Adam's going to get made. This is awesome. Wow, this is also the time when we stand before God in judgment. Books are open. Three of them. One for life, one for death, and one for the undecided. And we need to repent, and we need to ask for forgiveness, and we need to work out our relationships with each other because the books will close on Yom Kippur. Okay? And that's how they, uh, they work it out. So we end up with these 10 days between between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and during those 10 days, called the 10 days of war, people are running around doing their best to get to uh, reconcile with their brothers. You reconcile with man for 10 days, and then you reconcile with God for one, okay, on Yom Kippur, 10 to 1. And, uh, and so during this, this season, it is customary for people to run around and say, uh, may, it be, may, it, may, it, may you have a good signature, is what it literally means. Okay, and uh, what, they're, what they're wishing is um, a blessing. May your name be inscribed in the book of life, which is exactly the phrase you see in Revelation, that your names are inscribed in the Lamb's book of life, which is a, a nice thought. Okay, so you, we have um, the, what, how does all of this, these nice little fun uh, traditions and um you know how do you what's the what's the good joke about a tra tradition in a, in a jewish way this is this is a discussion on tradition okay um uh, a guy goes to a jewish village and it's on shabbat so he he's visiting so he wanders off to to shul to go and pray and uh when it's time to say kaddish he notices that half the congregation stands up to say the prayer and half the congregation sits down and then they all start arguing about who should stand and who should sit and all that kind of stuff. So at the end of the service, he goes up to the rabbi and he says, hey, rabbi, uh, what's the tradition with, uh, with Kaddish here? Uh, you know, should we stand? Should we sit? And the rabbi goes, oh, no, no. 
Don't, don't talk to me about, you want to go talk to Moshe. Moshe's uh, living at the end of the street. He knows all the traditions. So he goes off to go see Moshe. Hey, Moshe, it's, um, it's just in shul. Uh, what's the tradition? Is the tradition to stand during Kaddish? Moshe says, no, no, that's not the tradition. Okay, well, is the tradition to sit down during Kaddish? No, no, that's not the tradition either. Uh, well, all that happens is everybody starts fighting. Oh, that's the tradition. Okay. And, uh, and so you had these traditions. Where do they come from? Not really sure, but they can have uh, some, deep, some deep meaning. But what's the significance to the church? Okay. So the church looks at this festival, which the Jewish people have had a series of traditions, and, uh, and we're looking at a festival that's not explained in the Bible. Um, how, does, how do we find some meaning? Well, there's one thing that is explained in the Bible to do with this festival. And what is it? Coronation of the king. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, but it's done through what? Blowing of the shofar. Okay, there's the trumpet call. The, that's, the, that's the only thing that happens that, that it says. Okay, so now you've got this one, one object. Blow trumpet blasts. Great. Let's look through the Bible, find out when that happens. And, um, and so uh, let's, let's, uh, the, the shofar is a ram's horn, yes? You've all probably got one, I'm assuming, in big, long things. Okay? They're not cow's horns. Why not? The golden calf. Yeah, correct. Can't, can't have, yeah. You don't have anything to do with a cow other than sacrifice it on an altar and have a barbecue. That's the only thing you want to do with a cow. Okay? Mm -hmm. But what you do is you, you get a ram's horn, or they, they do kudus uh, these days, these South African animals, and, um, and, and they can get quite intricate. Uh, and, uh, and that becomes the, the, the story. The two pieces of lectionary that are read this day, Genesis 21 and Genesis 22, um, the ram does appear there, the ram's horn. And so in Genesis 21, which they're going to read Friday night, it starts in Genesis 21 saying that um, the Lord visited Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah becomes pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time that God had promised him. God gives him the name Isaac to the son that Sarah bore him. And then when he was eight years old, he gets circumcised as he was commanded. Abraham's 100 years old. Whew, he's doing well. Okay. Um, Abraham is actually the, the first person in the Bible that it says who gets old. Okay. So according to tradition, no one else got old before, before Abraham. But notice that God uh, comes and visits Sarah, as he has promised, God had made promises and God remembers his promise. And so memory and the memorial of something becomes uh, very important. Memory is incredibly important to the Lord. You've heard us say that before, most common command in the Bible is to remember and memory spurs you into action. God remembers Sarah and he shows up and you get... Um, this, uh, this, this visitation uh, and, and a baby. 
Where do you find that happening again in the New Testament? Okay, Mary. An angel visits Mary, and in her song, she says, the Lord has remembered Israel. Okay, the Lord remembers Sarah, she gets a baby. The Lord remembers Israel, Mary gets a baby. Okay, you know, this sort of, sort of once you get into memory, God acts, uh, and in this case, it's with um, in, uh, divine visitations and, um, and, and children. Then things don't work out for the second kid, Ishmael, okay, and uh, he has to get sent away. And what's interesting for Jewish people when they, when they read this passage, it says in verse uh, uh, 16, okay, uh, she went off, this is Haggai, she... Yeah, Haggai, she went, Hagar, she went off and she sat down a bowshot away for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. She sits there and she begins to cry. God hears the boy crying and the angel of God calls to Hagar from heaven and says, what is the matter? Okay. So who, who's crying in the story? Hagar and the baby. Which one does God hear? Ishmael. Right. And so for Jewish people, they go, hmm, both are praying to God. Which one is God hearing? God hears the prayer of the individual. Yes, you can pray for other people, and God can hear that prayer too. But more, he'll hear the prayer of that person. Right? I say, please, Lord, forgive my son. But my son, if he says, Lord, forgive me, God will hear that first. So they, they look at this and they say, great. We don't mind praying for other people, but let's make sure we're repenting too. Okay, sort of individual idea. So they're going to be thinking about that concept uh, Friday night when they read these passages. So in Genesis 22, which is the one that they read next, okay, um, you get everybody knows the, the the story very well, I'm sure. So sometime later, God tested Abraham. Okay. Some time later. Any, any idea of what time that really means? Or what was happening in between that some time later? It was 40 years. Or so. Yeah, the, the text doesn't say. <laughs> so, you know, um, if, if it doesn't say, what can you do? Yes. Yes, exactly. Yes. The Jewish exegesis, some, some little comments had these really cool court scenes between um, Satan and God, just like uh, Job had. You know, Satan and God are talking about Abraham, and, and Satan says, oh, come on, you know, you, he only loves you because you're so good to him. And God's like, okay, well, watch this. And then, and then you get this, this scene. It doesn't say that in the text. It just gives you a time, and God's important about time but the time here is not mentioned. God says, Abraham, here I am. Take your son, your only son, okay, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and sacrifice him as an Olah. Okay, the first time a human is called an, an Olah. First Olah, the first burnt offering we've ever had, happens to have been um, Noah. Now it's, uh, now it's Isaac. And uh, what does uh, Abraham do? Verse 3, early the next morning, okay, he gets up and he loads his donkey. And um, 
that donkey becomes so unbelievably important in Jewish exegesis, this donkey actually never dies. Okay? This is the donkey that Moses rode out of Egypt. It's the donkey that Abraham rides up, and it's the donkey that the Messiah will ride in on in, in Zechariah. Okay? So don't you love Jewish exegesis, okay, how they come up with this stuff? This is the, the undying donkey. Right? So beats Shrek hands down. The point is Abraham obeys. And it's in that obedience that now God starts becoming a king. Because uh, before you've got uh, uh, the flood, the world is destroyed, humans go kind of bad, and then God has to start working with, with um, humans again through Abraham. God is a king. His kingship's unquestioned. However, since the fall, his kingship isn't seen on the planet until humans start obeying him. And so once Abraham says yes, then God begins to rule and reign on the planet again. It doesn't say he's not ruling and reigning. It says that he's not ruling and reigning on the planet. And he's, his rulership is now seen through obedience and the devotion of both Isaac and Abraham. Both of them obey. And both of them obey uh, in, in quite incredible ways. And so uh, the kingship of God begins to make manifest through Abraham. The kingdom of heaven, that is what we call the kingdom of heaven that you see in the New Testament, starts at Mount Sinai when God has a people. But God's kingship starts impacting the earth once Abraham starts obeying. And, uh, and why is that important for Rosh Hashanah? Because when, when we tie up the boy and, we, and we, we go to sacrifice him, what do we find in the bush? We find a ram. And, uh, and so you, the idea of this ram's horn and what comes out of a ram's horn is the sound of the shofar. And what, uh, what, what happens there is if the ram is obedience and the kingdom of heaven. And so the sound of the shofar, you are now linking now the kingship of heaven. Uh, for those that would want a little bit of tension, may as well, I never shy away from a little good bit of tension. Uh, verse 12 of uh, Genesis 22 uh, what does it say? What does it say in your ESV, um, Neville? Yeah, it says. He um, said, first of all, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Yeah, yeah. there is that. Um, it actually does say that in Hebrew, kiatayadati. Because now I know, okay, that can imply that God learned something, okay, and um, that causes Christians um, no end of problems, and uh, and so doesn't cause Jew and Jews any problem. Just so you know, okay, this is which, which is I always find very interesting when I study with my rabbi friends. Like, do you have a problem with this text? at its literal level, implying that God is now learning something. And they go, uh, nope. 
And, but, it, but it certainly bothered Augustine, okay, and he wrote this long treatise in the fourth century trying to show that that didn't mean what it means, okay? And we're still doing it 1,600 years later, post-Augustine, okay? We just, we just do. All I want to do is point it out is that God is in and outside of time. When he's outside of time, he knows absolutely everything. When he's inside of time, he's in the moment. He's there with you in the moment. And so you see sometimes sections when he's right there, he says, yep, now I know. Okay, I, I saw the two ways you could have gone. I know exactly. I even see what the world looks like if you had said no. I know what that world looks like. But that world doesn't actually exist because I know that you've said yes. And so it's, a, it's actually a very powerful piece of tension. We don't particularly like it. Uh, in much of our theology. However, just so you know, our Jewish brothers don't wrestle with it the same way we do. What they're concerned about is Abraham said yes. Isaac said yes. And in that obedience, God's kingship is made manifest. And it's made manifest in connection to this ram, ram's horn and the sound of the shofar. Next time you see it uh, is in Exodus 19.19, where... Uh, the text says that the people of Israel, as God is, you know, doing his uh, coming down on the mountain and his thunders and lightning, and it's all getting very um, um, uh, uh, eschatological. Um, it says that the, the people of Israel saw the, the, the thunders and the, light, the fire, and they saw the voices, and they saw the voice of the shofar. Okay, not a trumpet, okay, a shofar. And, um, and how do you see a voice? So I hear you ask. Well, good question. I don't know. Um, but that's what the point is. The shofar and the visible, the visible voice that it makes uh, is inherent on God's intervention on the planet. Heaven and earth meet wherever you see these ram's uh, horns coming about. Abraham and Isaac and now uh, Mount, Mount Sinai. Heaven and earth meet at the sound of the shofar. And, uh, and then he gives the Torah and you get the establishment of the kingdom uh, of heaven. Okay, Leviticus 25. You want to have a look at uh, that one? Okay, uh, Leviticus 25 uh, says... In, in verse 8, count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, uh, so that the seventh seven years amount to a period of 49 years. Uh, then have the trumpet sound everywhere on the tenth day, the seventh month on the Day of Atonement. Sound the trumpet throughout your land and consecrate the Jubilee. So the, the, the trumpet blast, the call of the trumpet blast, is linked to Yom Kippur. It's linked to the giving of the Torah. It's linked to obedience. It's linked to the kingdom. Uh, and it's also linked to the Jubilee. It's also linked to the year of release. Uh, Yom Kippur is the covering of uh, national sin, and it's also the release of slaves and debts. So all of that is now linked into the sound of, uh, of the voice of the shofar. The shofar is also used to initiate war. Okay? What's the big battle which we have in the Bible that involves trumpets? Joshua Jericho. Okay, we love it. The great thing, we blow blasts and things fall down and, and for some reason that's the only city we do it to. We don't seem to do it to anybody else's, just that one. Um, if, it, if 
to me, if that battle plan had worked, I would have just kept going with it um, uh, until it didn't work. But anyway, it initiates war. So the sound of the voice of the shofar initiates battle. But David uses them in, in worship. Psalm 150 verse 3 actually says, praise him on the shofar. Okay. And so, yep. Interesting. In Joshua, I was studying that it's it's the shofarot hayov hayovlim. So it's it, there's a connection between uh, the jubilee and 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 the Jericho. Uh, Jericho, yeah. Yeah. Pretty interesting. So yep, it's a it's a special type of shofar. Not 100 percent sure what that means, but yes, the jubilee shofars are the ones that bring down um, that bring down the walls of Jericho. David uses them uh, in in the Psalms for worship. Uh, with all these other sort of musical instruments. And in Isaiah 27, you, you get the sound of the shofar that will herald the messianic age. Okay? Now, the day of the Lord at the beginning of Isaiah 27, but by, by, by verse 13, it says in the, it'll be the call of the shofar. Okay? So, Aaron? Yep? Maybe instead of thinking of the, the trumpets and the shofars, as uh, war, we should think of it as God's apparatus of victory, of sounding of victory. If you apply that throughout, it just seems to have a different uh, thought process with it. Yeah, okay. The, the Abraham says yes, and uh, Isaac says yes. That's a victory for God, yes? Okay. Yeah. And it's, and it's interesting also in First Kings, um, when the the throne it had to go to to uh david's son solomon and uh it want they wanted to you know uh what was it uh i don't remember his name he uh then you know they they called the shofar to announce the uh coronation of the king so yes. it's through the blowing of the shofar and it's interesting how that connection to and Future. then the feast of trumpets you know you're you're crowning the king you're saying the king is coming <laughs> You have that with King Solomon, and it's the entrance into the uh, Promised Land, the first battle at Jericho. You have that the trumpet, and it's you know declaring that now the land belongs to the king. So it's very interesting the, the yep. concept of the shofar. Yep, yep. The 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 the, 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 the announcing of a king, the announcing of a Messiah, the call to war, the call to praise, the announcement of the kingdom of heaven, call to obedience. Uh, all of that thrown together, and then uh, in Psalm 89, verse 15, again, I'm going to have Neville read his really cool ESV, uh, 89, Psalm 89, 15. What does it say, brother? Um, okay, Psalm 89, 15. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face. Interesting the way it says that. Okay, in, in Hebrew it's Oshrei. Uh, uh, so happy are those who know the tur- the sound of the Teruah. All right. Okay. It, it it doesn't make any sense in in Hebrew in English because no one really knows how to. Because all you, all that would be is David is saying happy are those who know the sound of the blast. Well, you'd be sort of sitting there going, okay, David, what? What blast? Could you make that a little more specific? But he doesn't. Okay? It's a very Jewish way of um, trying to encapsulate all the sounds of the blast.
For happy are those, blessed are those who understand the, the Teruah of the Lord. Another Aaron. tradition. Yeah. Aaron, I, I just have, I was just wondering, I don't want to throw off of what, where you're at now, but I'm just wondering, how are the silver trumpets in um, Numbers 10, where the trumpets, actual silver trumpets, are to be blown for yep. assembling, for advancing, for moving forward, all of that? How is that connected to the shofar blast? I mean, it's two different things. They are, yes, and they so they're two different things, and in some cases they overlap. So part part of some of the festivals it says it, it actually says blow trumpet blasts, and it means these silver trumpets, and sometimes it says the trumpets and the shofar, and it joins them together, and sometimes in the text it just says the call of the shofar, and 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 uh, and um, it. It's, it's become, the, the, the Jewish people have kind of said that when we talk about a teruah, they're talking about a shofar blast, not silver trumpets. Silver trumpets announce jubilees and things like that. But when, when they're talking about a teruah, they're talking about the, the shofar blast. It might have silver trumpets with it, but they're really focusing on the, on the shofar itself. But yes, it, does, it, get, it gets um, those two, two words of two different words. And they um, and it can it can get confusing. In Aramaic, the word for trumpet blast is is actually the same word for rooster. Okay, so when 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 we when we read in, in the New Testament, it says that before the cock crows, you'll deny me. We all think bird, but try and think Aramaic. When you hear the trumpet blast in the temple announcing the time of the day, then you will have denied me. Okay. I, I know we all, we all think bird, but 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 it's act, so so it, it, the, the the it's fun it's fun to take the silver trumpet translate it into, into Aramaic and then see what Jesus is actually saying. But anyway, put that off to the side. Um, uh, another tradition is that it confuses Satan. You blow the shofar and Satan doesn't know what to do. Okay? It affects the spirit world. Okay? Heaven and earth meet, and when they do, it chases away the demons. The, the, uh, because, because it's um, on Mount Sinai and because they saw the voice of the shofar, what happened to the people as God was giving the Torah? They sinned they somehow lost the plot. And the Jewish people say this is a form of spiritual slumber. And so the shofar is meant to wake you up from your spiritual slumber. And so you end up with phrases like sleeper awake. Okay? And this is actually where all of the things that we've been talking about can actually come down and, 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 and help us as disciples of the Messiah because we see that the actual shofar ends up with a lot of significance. Um, the shofar is the hallmark of the two greatest acts of redemption in, uh, in the Bible, the Exodus and the, and the arrival of the Messiah. Okay? That's Exodus and Isaiah. Both times it talks about shofar. Theologically, it confuses the spirit world. Theologically, heaven and earth meet together as designed to wake people up from their spiritual slumber. And it, and it comes at a time where people are talking about forgiveness and repentance. 
It's a time when people are having a very introspective moment, looking at themselves, their relationship with each other and relationship uh, to God. It's a time that we are stirring ourselves to repent and examining our hearts uh, before the Lord. And so even for Christians, looking at a festival that's not in the Bible, we can still say that this can also remind us that we often also find ourselves in a spiritual slumber. Okay, We get caught up in the mundane. And the mundane, the cares and the pressures of this world, they can compromise our prayer life. We all know this to be true. Uh, it can compromise the amount of time we spend in the Word. We can get incredibly busy with the mundane and suddenly discover that we're not studying the Bible like we thought we should. And it can compromise our commitment to continue to meet together as disciples. I always enjoy the didache, uh, the, the, the teachings of the apostles, where it says, every day seek the company of the saints. And there's something valuable in running and finding a fellow believer, spirit to spirit, and encouraging each other. But the mundane can stop that. The cares of the world can compromise this. And so it can compromise our commitment to discipleship at the feet of Jesus. And so at Rosh Hashanah, as the Jewish people are thinking, as they're listening to these shofars, uh, even on Shabbat this time, uh, they're thinking, wake up, repent, uh, for, uh, remember to rejoice before the Lord, remember that Satan is running away at this time, now's a really good time to, 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 to talk to the Lord. He's going to listen to my prayers, not just my dad's, okay, who's praying for me, but, but mine. And, uh, and this is a very good time where everyone has the opportunity to reassess priorities and examine our hearts. And, um, and it's also, as we've mentioned before, about making God king. Okay? Just like you see in the story of Abraham, the kingship of God is never imposed. It's always received. Okay? God doesn't come down to Abraham and say, um, I am going to be your king, and whether you like it or not, the following things are going to happen. He asks. Okay? And Abraham chooses to receive uh, the kingship. And so when Abraham obeys, this heralds the beginning of God's kingship uh, on, on earth, his, his rullership and reign. It is true, uh, Jean had made a comment, that Noah obeyed. Yes, Noah did obey. And uh, uh, what's, what's very interesting is, you know, the prophet Isaiah says, no one is righteous, no, not one. And then Genesis comes along and says, uh, Noah was righteous. And you go, oh, okay. So the only person who's actually called righteous in the entire Bible is Noah. And he does get to obey and he does build a big boat and then he comes out of the ark and then things go poorly. And so for a brief moment in time, we could say, yes, God ruled and reigned and then somehow the world lost it. But from Abraham, it, uh, his, his, his message, um, his kingship begins to, to, to remain on the planet. Um, so God's kingship becomes more and more when we choose to obey God. The more that we choose to obey God, the more God is ruling and reigning on the planet. Same, uh, same words with Jesus. Blessed is he who hears my words and obeys them. Okay? So we choose. Okay? It's a choice. We receive the word. We shma Israel. We hear what God has to say. We make him king and then God's kingship 
rules on the planet. And so when we hear the stirring call of the shofar this season, and we're going to hear it a lot, then, um, then hopefully, uh, well, I would encourage us all to take that shofar, that, that sound, uh, urge us to not remain in slumber. It's a, it's a, we should ask ourselves this question. Is God more of a king of our lives this year than last year? That should be our question we ask at Rosh Hashanah. Is God ruling and reigning in my life more than he is ruling and reigning last year? And if the answer is no, well, then 10 days of all. Let's concentrate on figuring out uh, what we can do. CMJ has produced a 10 days of all um, prayer diary, prayer uh, journal, devotional, I think. Did you get it, uh, Sharon, in Canada? Yep, okay, so um, so for each of the 10 days of all, we're reading through um, Ezekiel. Each day has a few verses from the prophet. It, it focuses our prayers to pray for one facet of the Messianic community, whether that's in uh, different countries like Canada or Australia or, or Israel, and, uh, and also then examines our own um, attitudes as we wake ourselves up from from the mundane. So if you haven't got one, please um, contact your local CMJ branch, whichever country you live in, and uh, and they can actually send those to you. Um, okay, so uh, this is a, a very important holiday, even for, non, for non-Jews. Okay? All of the themes that we've talked today, okay, which all come from the Bible, even though the holiday isn't in the Bible, which is a very interesting way to talk about it, um, apply to us. And so I think what we, what we find is uh, Rosh Hashanah becomes actually a very, a very important holiday. The prayers on this day are actually very beautiful for those that happen to be anywhere near a synagogue. Um, the prayers on this, on this Shabbat, all of them uh, focus very heavily on making God king. You, you, you cry out for God's kingship over your life, over your community, over your house, over your nation. You ask for forgiveness, for, for personal forgiveness. Uh, you appeal to God's attributes. You're constantly reminding God, who already knows, but you're, you're saying, I know who you are because I've read your, your word and I've looked at your characteristics and now I'm going to list them to you. You're merciful. You're long-suffering. You forgive me even when I willfully sin, and you forgive me even when I don't even know I'm sinning. Okay, that's how good you are, and uh, and because you're that good, I'm going to uh, to make you my king, and I'm going to do what you say. So so bring it on. Oh, and by the way, I've got a bad guy. I don't like him. So let's blow the shofar and get him very confused. All of those things are very powerful, uh, and I and I think it's a uh, it's something that, that the church can, can learn from and, and embrace just as much as the Jewish people have taken a holiday that didn't have any explanation and turned it into a very powerful holiday, so much so that it trumps Shabbat, okay? um, which is a very interesting way that they've done it. So, 
Aaron, can I ask a quick question? Or Go for it, Sharon. Um, so do you guys, um, uh, do Messianic Jews, like, what do they think of, so, you know, um, you know, Trump signing the peace deal, and, like, do they believe that Christ's return is imminent? So speaking of kings and the arrival of kings and the celebration and... Hey. All right. Um, man, I would hope so. Okay. But a couple of things there. Remember, tension. Let's all embrace the beautiful art of tension. When the Messiah comes, what's going to happen? Yes. Okay. Like so. So we get we get this we get this uh, piece of the of theology that Paul says. You know, at the trumpet blast, the sound of the shofar. Right. We're going to meet the Lord in the air. Uh, Revelation, at the sound of the trumpet, the sea is going to give up its dead. Okay? This, this, this strong theme of um, the blast of the shofar, all of that redemption, it's all going to happen. But coupled with that are plagues and viruses and death and lots of destruction, and it's all very horrible. Um, and so there's this, we want Jesus to come back, and at the same time, we don't. Uh, and, and at the exact same time, and we all know that to be true because we've all got friends, brothers and sisters and family that are not believers yet. We all know that when the Messiah comes, he has to start judging. And it's not pleasant for those that don't like him. So, so there's that tension. And so there's going to be parts of the Messianic community on any given day who are going to want and desire the, the coming of the Lord, just like they, they are in the, in, the, in the Gentile church. And at the other time, there'll be those that say, oh, it would be kind of nice if we could just, just hang off. In terms of the signs of the times, it is interesting that our neighbours are becoming more friendly toward us. Um, not all of them. Syria is still a basket case. Lebanon's a basket case. Iran's a basket case. However, we also happen to know, uh, as CMJ, we're also connected with the uh, Crossroads Initiative. So we, we, we know of lots and lots of Persian and Arab believers that are growing in these communities. This is really good news. So we, we kind of want the Lord to be long-suffering, okay? Or, um, or as he says, it's one of his 13 divine attributes. He's arech um, panim. He suffers long with us. The longer he, he, he remains away, the more people he's going to be king of. Okay. And which is, and we're seeing it. So there's a, there's a, there's a, there's some good news. Always good news in the Middle East as well. Um, I personally, I mean, there's a, there's people running around here going, oh, we can see the one world orders coming. You know, this virus is, you know, we're going to be all taking the mark of the beast, and uh, we're all going to have to have this vaccine. It's all horrible. Um, the, at some point, though this one world government or this one world religion that's going to dominate the world, can you honestly see Islam siding up to that? Unless it's Islam. And if it is Islam, could you imagine secular Europe wanting to embrace Islam? The Swedes wanting to embrace Islam? They don't want to embrace nothing out there. Um, well, UK, the, the UK has been quite, there's quite a number of mayors, I think, in, in a number of bureaus in the yeah, UK. Yeah, but it's not 70 million of you. But no, no, yeah, so I understand. So I, I happen to think that before one of the signs of, uh, of the arrival of Messiah will be the destruction of Islam. And uh, for good or for ill, okay? Because the less Islam, the more Christianity, the more believers in Jesus there will be. That's fantastic. That's good news. 
and at the same time it might be heralding the end. It's all tension. And, 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 and the great thing about the Bible is it just likes to live with it. Our God is king. He is ruling and reigning, even when the disasters uh, occur. Okay? He rules over the flood. What, a, what an interesting phrase in the Psalms. Right? He rules over the flood when he's de- destroying uh, the world. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So that's. Um, yes, um, Aaron, if I would just make a comment on that. You know, um, it's not for us to be afraid if, for correct. instance, um, with the peace deal that um, they, they've just signed. Um, the Lord said that it was going to come to pass. And so if we see the peace deal, Yeshua said that when we see all these things happening, we should lift up our head because our salvation is closer than when we began. It means that we should be excited right. about the end time events that are coming, uh, not for us to be afraid. Um, it's a good thing. I mean, if for what we see, uh, as many people call it, the accord, the Abraham Accord, as it's yeah. been called in, in, in a lot of circles, you know, because we look at the children of Abraham coming together. Um, um, I, I, I see Yom Teruah as a very, very important holiday for any, uh, either you're Messianic or a Christian. Um, yep. Yom Teruah is mentioned in the Torah, um, but um, Rosh Hashanah is never mentioned, but it's just that um, in the traditional Hebrew um, Jewish um, celebration, they prefer to call it um, uh, Rosh Hashanah, which yep. is the head of the year. And that is taken out of the context that the Lord actually changed the, the counting of the calendar in Exodus, as you mentioned. And it is believed that Tishri used to be the first of the year until the Lord said that this shall be the first of the year for you. And when Tishri was the end of the year, it was taken that that was the um, anniversary of creation. And, and so that's when the calendar changes. So when the new institution of the... And Nissan begins the end of um, head of the year. The calendar doesn't change in that sense because it is not the, the, the celebration of the creation. And so it's just like how we, where some people celebrate when they come to Christ and they have their birthday. So it doesn't. Their birthday is when their age change. Even when they celebrate when they come to Christ, doesn't affect their age itself. So um, that's the way I see it. Although for a lot of people, it's very confusing. But it's a very important holiday. Um, the blowing of the trumpet, we could see it in the Lord of the Lord. The God Himself blew the trumpet when He was given the Ten Commandments. We heard the sound of the shofar, and for um, believers in Yeshua, we know that there's going to be another sound of the shofar, which is believed that is going to be the rapture. And so it's one of the times that people are looking for the blast of the trumpet, that when the trumpet will sound again and, they, and the believers will be raptured. Uh, we saw when um, Gideon went into the battle, apart from, apart from um, Joshua, we know that Gideon went into the battle against three kings and he blew the shofar. And of course, he used that to rout the enemies. At such a time as this, it's a, it's a very important instrument of warfare, in prayer, in, in our worship to God, in our praise to God. And one of the things that we see recurring on the trumpet is that it mentioned remembrance. And the remembrance, yes, it's not very explicit, but the remembrance is us. We are going to be remembered before the Lord because in Numbers, when it's numbers, when it's talking about when they go into warfare, he said, when you blow the trumpet, then I will, the Lord your God will remember you 
as you go into the warfare and you will be victorious against your enemy. So we are bringing our remembrance before the Lord so that the Lord can remember us. Not that he forgot us in, in the sense of, you know, having to forget somebody, but so that the Lord can remember us and act on our behalf. Um, memory is action. Yes, uh, act on our behalf. Because if you see the word zakor, many times it's used in the scripture, but it's used to act on one's behalf, as to, to speak on my behalf, like when um, Joseph was um, using the word for one of the, for the cup bearer, it says that when you go before um, when you go before Pharaoh, when you have been remembered and taken out of here, speak on my behalf. But that word translated "speak on my behalf" is actually from the word zakor, and so um, we understand zakor as when God acts on your behalf. Right. And so it's a it, it's a very important time that God acts on our behalf in this season. Yes, yeah, we we are to yeah. God remembers and He acts. We remember and we act. And we yeah. act, and that brings the, the, the kingship. We, uh, as you were mentioning, one thing, we're not to be afraid, and, we, and this is true. Here at CMJ, um, we're looking forward to, to talking with Bahrainis and Emiratis when they come and visit Israel, okay? And they will. So at Christchurch, the most common Bible that we give away, obviously, is Hebrew. We are uh, a ministry. The second most common Bible we give away is in Turkish. Okay, so, yeah, Israel and Turkey, they have their little fight, but Turks still like coming to visit. So you get these Muslim groups, their guides love to bring them to Christchurch. You get Messianic Jews standing in front of, of Muslim Turks sharing the gospel of the Messiah. At the end, they, we say, would you like to take uh, uh, one of our books? And they'll say, yes, it'd be fantastic. And so we're looking forward to... Uh, Bahrainis and Emiratis who will not have the opportunity to hear the good news in their country, coming to Zion, coming to Christchurch when their guides bring them saying, oh, you've got to meet these people. You're going to talk, we're going to show you these, these uh, very crazy Jews who believe in Jesus. And uh, you know, have you ever heard of such a thing? And we're going to uh, sh share our faith and we're going to give out lots of our uh, New Testaments to these guys. It's going to be great. So um, we're looking forward to it. Because they're not going to go to the Temple Mountain, okay? Uh, every, the Palestinians don't like them. So they won't go to the Temple Mountain. They won't go to the mosques. So when they come to Israel, they, they're going to they're visit churches and they're going to come, which is going to be fantastic. So we're looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And one of the reasons, of course, uh, for the talks, you know, at the time the talks were, um, became the caliphates of the old Muslim world. And yeah. um, the and traditionally, they're supposed to come from the caliphate, supposed to come from the lineage of the prophet Muhammad. And um, the talks are not from that lineage. And so uh, after some time, they, they, they had a big fallout of the system. And so it's led to the destruction of the Turkish Empire. But yeah, yep. it's a good thing for them to come and um, yep. to receive the true gospel. Yeah, <laughs> and they will. And, uh, and it'll, it'll be great. It'll be so... For it, God is doing it. God is doing something. Um, yeah. We'll enjoy it, but we also are not fools. We also know that we have an enemy, and he is also working against the plans of God. However, God is a king. So this this festival, when you hear the shofar and all of its power, let's remember what uh, David said in the Psalms. Happy are those, blessed are those who know the Torah of the Lord. 
Okay, so as disciples of the Messiah, it does behoove us to try and understand and become familiar with the, the, the shout of the Lord, the call of the Lord uh, when he's blowing his, his shofar. Let's wake up from our slumber. Let's make God more of our king. Uh, let's, uh, let's remember to repent to each other and to the Lord and, and strengthen the kingdom with praise, with worship, and uh, with battle. Okay, we fight, fight the enemy. All right, guys. Uh, thank you very much. So next week is during the 10 days of war, but we will leap back into Deuteronomy uh, where we will discover why we can stone people and have kings all at the same time. Thank you very much, Aaron. Shabbat shalom. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. Shabbat shalom. God bless you. Good to see you, everybody. Thank you. From Kazakhstan. Wow. Very nice to have you like that. Hey. Hey. Good to see you. See you, Ireland. See you. Come back soon. Yeah, please. I would really like that, okay? No, seriously. For a holiday this time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I can do, I can do my quarantine in your house. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Erin. Yep. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Good to see you again, Shimshan. Absolutely delightful. Thank and, you very uh, much, Erin. Thank you for your gift to uh, Micah. Appreciate it. You will use that to get his stuff. Erin, I have a question. Yes, mate. So, and even on CMJ website, I saw it, and it and it. I'm apologize. It drives me absolutely bonkers. But in Leviticus 23, we've been talking about these feasts, and it said the Lord says these are my feasts. These yeah. are my feasts, and yet lots of places put them down as the Jewish yeah, feasts. Jewish. Yeah, yeah, they're not. And and that and that actually, in in my opinion, yeah. gives a, a a separation from what we should be doing. I mean, we honor these feasts as, as yeah. believers, but when you say the Jewish feast, that's like, but that's for yeah. those guys. Yeah. That's nothing to do with us. Yeah. Uh, all I can say is this, it's, it's probably, it's, it's, it's not what we intend. Okay. So I'll have to talk to the website guys and figure out what that, but just also Jewish people call them Jewish festivals. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's not just it's not just Christians doing it. Like the local Chabadnik up the road, you know, they even though it says Feast of the Lord, and they say, "Oh, the Jewish festivals." Well, yeah, we know that's because he gave it to to you guys, but you guys are meant to be lights to the nations, and so we're all kind of meant to be embracing it too. Which is the right. reason why at CMJ we we say and we say them on our videos. You know, why why is this festival that's not got explained in the Bible, how can that possibly be relevant to Christians? And then hopefully we come away with, actually, it is pretty relevant, and there's a lot here that's actually very applicable. And, um, and, and, and good Christians say, well, if it's not in the Bible, you know, we can't do it. You know? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Birthdays aren't in the Bible, and they still do that, too. <laughs> it's... Um, when you talk about the birthdays, um, you know, it's many times it reports that um, when Abraham was 99 years, the Lord visited him. When Abraham was this, the Lord visited yeah. him. It's always on his birthday. And yes. um, yeah, so for God to fix an appointment with Abraham on his birthday, 
I want to see it's more like a celebration. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That time, as, as you can see, is incredibly important to God. He even considers yeah. the day you were born to be important. Right? Yeah. Because he goes, oh, I'm going to go and visit Abraham. Yeah. I shall wait until it is his birthday. Okay. That's very important. Um, I'm, it's time for Abraham to die. I shall wait until it's his birthday. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> very special present. <laughs> yeah. Um, did, did we hear you right in saying that the um, creation was on Friday? Yes. So how does that work with the uh, seven days or six okay. days of the Sabbath? <laughs> yes. So, yes. Uh, okay. let, let's, let, let's not get too confused here. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, so according to the tradition, Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of the year, starts the creation of the world. Even though, as Shimshon mentioned in, in his little summary at the end, it's the seventh month. How, if it's the seventh month, how can it be the beginning of creation? They don't try and think that. Okay? They, they don't try and unpack it. All they're going to say is, look, the date's going to go from 577, uh, 5780 to 5781. And uh, we shall begin. And then the next month won't be the second month. It'll be the eighth month. Uh, and yeah. you scratch your head and you go, oh, my gosh. Uh, that's, they just do that. But they, the liturgical cycle will start. So, so according to the uh, religious uh, way of studying the Bible, we will, we will re-begin. We will begin again. We will begin with creation. <coughs> so, but so why Friday? Sorry. Because Rosh Hashanah falls on Friday this time. Oh, just this time? Yes. So okay. Rosh, Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah can become as early as the 5th of September. <clears throat> the last time it was that, I think, was like in the late 1800s. Um, oh, right. Okay. Uh, so next year creation will have been on a different day. Sorry? So next year creation will have been on a different day. Yes. Well, the, the, yes, according <laughs> to the Jewish calendar, the solar calendar, they're all, they're all kind of different, but... Yeah. yeah, and also to add to that, you know, because Rosh Hashanah is always celebrated on the first of Tishri, yep. um, it's traditionally, um, they count six days before then, and um, which falls on the 25th of Elul, and they say that's when God created the heavens and the earth, you know, looking at the sixth day of creation, then yeah. the seventh day, which falls on the first of Tishri, is being regarded as the day that man was created on the sixth right, day. Yeah. And, then, so, and then there's the Sabbath. Um, the, yeah. 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 Yeah, then there is the Sabbath. You know? Yeah, so, so that's what they, so um, they play it's around more with. Of, um, yeah. yeah. Yep. And, and so you could, another, another very important thing that falls on the 25th of Elul is the building of. Um, the Nehemiah building of the walls, you know, they completed it on the 25th of the sixth month. So yeah. it's always used as um, that was when creation started, you know, things like that. But um, generally, um, most of those um, stories around is supposed to encourage us. Um, they are like um, what we call parables um, in the New Testament, but they are always stories to try to buttress the facts of um, some other things. Some of the stories might not be so real, but they used it to teach some, some um, morals or to pass some messages that are encoded in the Torah. Just yeah. like um, Aaron said earlier on, um, most of these feasts, like when we talk about it as Yom, as Yom Teruah is mentioned, then, then the only thing that we are expected is to blow the ram's horn. That's but it, yeah. every other thing that we do now, it's, it's, it's built over the years. 
Correct. And um, they, 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 they play a huge significance in our faith, in our tradition, and in the way we relate to God. Of course, our emotion is, um, is included, and it's very important because God wants to be happy with us. All right, so I will, um, I will inform the web design guys to have a closer look at our feasts of the Lord, mm -hmm. and uh, I'll see how, how easy that process is. Uh, oh, you've got one there? Okay. Yeah, I, I, once you mentioned it, I just looked on CMJ and I found it and I printed it off and I just put it in the chat box. Um, if people want to have the web guide, they can. Ah, great. Prayers. Okay. So you Thank can you. just click that. That's from the USA site. And that's where I saw the Jewish feast. So <laughs> I'm yeah. not beating you up, man. I'm not. I'm not yeah. doing that. No, no, no. It's <laughs> interesting because uh, the, the, the Jewish people do exactly the same thing. Right? It's, it's yeah. just a, it's, we, 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 we create a, a wordage and then we just roll with it, even yep. though we know it's not true. But what it is right. good yeah. is, um, is that, I mean, obviously you already know, it's the Feast of the Lord. What it is good is when we do inform people, these are the Feasts of the Lord, you know, to always say that's actually not what it says in the text. Right. Um, mm -hmm. uh, like, like what we were studying in the, the Lord's Prayer. And um, for those that have watched it or have said, you know, um, may, may your will be done on earth. And everybody says, as it is in heaven. But the as it is isn't there. That's not the, that's not the real. The real word in Greek is and. May your will be done on earth and in heaven. The problem is, even though we know what it literally says, we don't change it because we can't. <laughs> You know, we just, you just can't. <laughs> we are, we, yeah, don't mess wired. with the tradition, man. But it does create a very good teaching point to turn around and say, no, no, hang on. This is what it says in the text. Now, why in a Jewish way do you pray for, for peace in heaven and on earth? What's wrong with heaven? And then when you do a closer look at the Bible, you suddenly discover there's a war in heaven. Says Revelation. So it's obviously not that peaceful, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Aaron, I have a question. Um, you know, with this whole process of this, this, uh, the Bahrain, the, the people from Bahrain and uh, from the Emirates, that, that halted the, uh, the West Bank, the annexation. So what is, this, what is the feeling right now in Israel with all of that? Uh, um, well, uh, unfortunately, we've got such a problem with our prime minister. Is um, the, the the phrase is usually, "Hey, uh, don't come back." <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, uh, so, yeah, because he got caught doing um, illegal deals on on submarines and things, and and uh, so he's 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 got he's got some court issues he needs to, to face with. Um, however, um, well, the Bank, like they're, they're, so they all the West Bank settlements, and I know that when they gave this speech, the, the speech was yesterday, and the Prime Minister of the United Arab Emirates, he says, hey, thank you so much because you, you, you halted the West Bank settlement yeah. thing, and yeah, now right. we're in. So I'm just wondering how that was, what was the reper, reper, repercussion yeah. of that? Yeah, in this Israel. is one of the reasons why people want, like, the segments of the community that want him out because he, he stopped the annexation. He was mm -hmm. all ready to, to take parts of biblical Israel back, right? Mm -hmm. And the Jordan Valley. Yeah, and um, he, he was going to, 30% of it. But, but he stopped. Uh, even Trump was saying, no, go ahead. You were, you were good with it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, 
And, and people were kind of getting excited, like, oh, my gosh, we're going to actually finally do this. Look at that. You know, we're going to. But then, then, then he stopped. He stopped talking. He got a little boiled down in his, uh, his prime wave. Um, he's made peace deals with these guys, and now it's off the table. So that's got, that's got about half a million settlers uh, <laughs> very angry. Um, he's got about a million other people who don't like him. The Orthodox hate him because he keeps shutting down their holidays. Um, he unfortunately needs our prayers because he's not doing so well. <laughs> uh, he's got a lot of people not liking him right now. Um, Israel currently is a, is a quite a fragmented community. Um, and uh, I guess one of the things I'll be praying for over Rosh Hashanah is, Lord, please listen to them and please listen to them as a group. Please listen to them as a people because they really need to be united. Um, yeah, a lot how, of pleasing, how pleasing to the Lord when the brothers are in union. Uh, right? When the brothers are in unity. Um, yeah. But, yeah. but God still blesses them. Uh, we're still growing more food. Um, you know, we're still finding lots of natural, natural resources we've never had before. Uh, we're making peace with a bunch of people that we never thought we would before. Unfor unfortunately, we we're going to probably make peace with Saudi Arabia, whom I despise. Um, uh, they, they are just a nasty people. They, they subjugate their own people. The House of Saud or a gang of 5,000 idiots in Saudi Arabia. Um, you know, they don't allow any form of religious tolerance at all, except their little weird brand of, of, of Islam. Um, and we want to be friends with them. Uh, not really. <laughs> but, but, but people do. So we'll see. Yeah. I mean, when, when is um, Netanyahu's tenure ending? I mean, talking about the arrangement with um, Benny Gans? Yes. He had a year and a half, right? Correct. And uh, I, I, all I can say is Netanyahu is one of the smartest politicians I've ever seen. Okay? <laughs> no, he really is. Um, he, Benny Gantz was his sworn enemy. Somehow, <laughs> somehow he made him sit in his government. Now that's pretty darn clever, okay? Uh, about two and a half years though, Benny. But I know he lost some of the supporters because of that. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. You know, if we go to elections, he'll win again. There's, um, the, he's, very, he's a master politician. He Definitely. really is. never, never, never. Just when you think he's uh, down and out, he'll pull something out of that. He'll pull something out, yeah. yeah. He's a, he's so, a many, so many of them leave and leave office and go straight to jail. Is that so unfortunate? The, it, it's a, actually, it's one of those highlights of, of Jewish morality that um, even if you are a prime minister or a president, if you have broken the law, we will put you into jail. Unlike large sections of America where, um, you know, we can have some very nasty uh, Bill Clintons and, and, and do all kinds of nasty things. Hillary Clinton can do all kinds of illegal things. She's still out of jail. How did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say that doesn't happen in America because yeah, like, a they, bunch of them in there. They probably wish that they could throw their presidents in jail. Oh, okay. true. Yeah, we need a lot of that in Brazil. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they stay like and then out, yeah. So, Yvonne, before you go, Aaron yeah. is talking about how brilliant Netanyahu is, and mm -hmm. this is why it wasn't really a halt to this settlement issue, this annexation issue. That was something that was began to put into the public eye a year and a half ago, 
to build up people's hopes. Look, we can go and take over these areas just by um, building roads and putting infrastructure. That would be annexation without announcing it. Why did he announce it? Because he knows he's going to make it a big deal and then give up something in return for making this uh, political peace thing, to make it look like something's going on. Yeah. Israelis actually aren't leaving the West Bank. They're just building exactly. more stuff. Exactly. It's, it's a fiction. It's a fiction set up to appease <laughs> certain parts of the world because they don't think about these things. That's right. so interesting. Yeah, and, and I heard, well, I was kind of a little bit uh, concerned about it because when he was supposed to give these annexations or add on, actually add on the annexations, they were going to, supposed to give parts of, like, I think, Eastern Jerusalem, which the Lord hates when he would divide his land. Yeah. So then, so yeah. that was set up in order to play the big play at the end, which is the Abraham Accords. And mm-hmm. it appeases people on both sides when it was never really something as they had proposed it to begin with. We yeah. just simply take it whenever we want it. <laughs> just about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Have a blessed and sweet new year. I look forward to wrestling with Deuteronomy with you guys again next week. Uh, Hallelujah. Right. Yeah. Hallelujah. Right. Um, yeah. I happen to, happen to really like uh, this chapter, not because we get to stone people, um, <laughs> but because we actually finally put some rules down for a king. And, and the rules are very interesting, I find, okay? And because uh, as, as you guys know, most of you know, um, democracy is not in the Bible. Yeah. Kings are yeah. in the Bible. Yeah. And, um, and, and when God says, when you have one, this is what they do. And, uh, and if we actually had a king that, that actually did this, those are few and far between. But anyway, we'll talk about that hopefully next week when, when, we, when it says. All right, guys. You think we'll have a study on Yom Kippur and uh, yes. Sukkot? Yes, we well? will. Yeah, we'll, so. have, uh, we'll have a study on Yom Kippur because um, there's a lot of uh, interesting things about that, particularly in, uh, yeah, in the prayers that go on with it and stuff, and in its name. Okay? So uh, Yom Kippur is its Hebrew name. And we all call it the Day of Atonement. Even Jewish people call it the Day of Atonement. But that's not what Kippur means. It's a, it's, it's a, yes, exactly. Yes, Shintra, you're right. It's a, everybody keeps, we're all stuck and, and on, on this, this thing, the Day of Atonement. But that word's not actually there. Again, it's one of those The Day of Forgiveness, it should be. Uh, Kapala. What's called repentance? No, that's just it's covering. Yeah. I'm not going to That's that's <laughs> for a search on Yom Kippur, and and we we do the same. We read the text. Yeah. We go and we, we see what it says in English, and we look at the Hebrew and go, well, "That's actually not what it means." And then we jump in. So what what does it mean? And why have we developed certain traditions? <laughs> great day. Yeah. Okay, and and we start asking questions like, okay, is it mm. Why doesn't Messiah come at Yom Kippur? If 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 we, if we use words like Jesus is our atonement, then yeah, then why doesn't he come at Yom Kippur then? And uh, so, if Messiah is coming at at, uh, at Passover and that's the big season of redemption, what the heck is this? Uh, it's a it's going to be a lot of fun. Okay. Um, awesome. Okay. So we'll we'll do a study on that one as well. 
But uh, okay, and we'll advertise it ahead of time. Okay, guys. <laughs> Thank you. For Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.